How's it going, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Texans 22 podcast. I have my partner in crime, Leo is Forgiven, um, a.k.a. The Run Game. And I have special guest, Paul Gallant of ESPN 97.5 with his new show, Gallant and George. Um, how are you liking the new show? Well, it's day two. Uh, for those who are familiar with radio, there's a lot of change. But... I'm having fun the first two days, and we'll see where it goes. <laughs> and so far, I've been liking it. Um, listening to like the new fun fact section, uh, one is, is kind of cool. Um, I, I think uh, when Leo talks about the draft crush, I might bring up some of the uh, colorblind ones because that was kind of funny. I got to tell you, like the stuff <laughs> that you guys were talking about there. Um, no, I'm liking the new show. Um, it, it is weird seeing all of this stuff on ESPN. I used to listen to kind of just change dramatically over the really the past year and a half, um, uh, kind of. But So it's got to be really crazy for you to see all those changes happening like relatively quickly. At this point, it's no longer crazy, and that's what's sad. But, hey, that's radio, that's show business. You just keep on dancing and smiling and acting like everything's fine. But these first two shows have been really good. I like Joe a lot. Still working with Sean. I get an extra hour, better time slot. So uh, I'm happy. That's all I can say right now. Okay. All right. Well, let's get to our first segment. And this is a segment where we talk about the quotes that are in the NFL. Now, today we actually have three quotes all from D'Amico. We got a bonus quote too, what we should talk about afterwards. But we're going to start with the first quote from D'Amico. What did he say? So the quote from D'Amico, the first one, has to do with Dalton Schultz. And what he said was, Dalton did a really nice job for us in the passing game. In those two-minute drives, when we were able to win a few games, Dalton really showed up. In situation football, on third downs, he really showed up, making big catches for us. We'll see what happens with Dalton in free agency, but I'm very proud of what he did for us last year. So, obviously, everyone's analyzing what he's saying. Is Dalton Schultz going to come back? Um, One of the things that kind of stands out is that he specifically said, did a nice job for us in the passing game. Didn't mention his blocking or anything like that, but specifically uh, talked about his passing game. Obviously, everyone's over-evaluating everything. And I want to know, can you take anything away from this quote? And do you think Dalton Schultz will come back? And if not, who's going to replace him? Paul, I'm going to start with you. So I think you always got to be careful when overanalyzing quotes. I'll say this to somebody who once asked Pete Carroll during an interview if Brian Schottenheimer, his offensive coordinator, would be back next season. He said yes, and they literally fired him seven hours later. So just something to keep in mind with quotes. 
Coaches, general managers, they're going to say some things. They're going to do completely different things. This is a very political move by D'Amico Ryans. He's complimenting his player. I think if we're going to try to take anything away from that, it's that, hey, they might let him taste free agency. We'll see if somebody offers him more than what the Texans gave him last year. He did well. Could they do better? I think that's the question, and I'm sure Nick Casario, whether in free agency or in the draft, is looking at some options. Who? I don't know. I know that we got to be feeling pretty good about some of the things that we saw from Brevin Jordan down the stretch. Is that the person who goes into that role? Again, I don't know. I, I don't think this means a goodbye for Dalton Schultz. I think it more so means he's going to perhaps say, hey, go test free agency. and. We'll test free agency too. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I know that, you know, uh, Leo has a lot of options on tight end. So uh, first of all, tell me what you think about this quote, Leo. And then if Dalton Schultz doesn't come back, who would you like to replace him with? Uh, I mean, I think like for the right price, right? I think everything is is uh, all about the right price. The problem with free agency is that a lot of times like a team's value for that player and what someone else is willing to give that player oftentimes can really just completely offset itself. And um, so with that said, I think like Dalton Schultz, man, it's tough for me because he did make plays and I think that he has a role. Like he's good enough to obviously have a role in a, in a, and a high quality offense, which we basically saw, we basically had, especially in a few games, right? The problem is, is that like, I think if you like, for me to to pay Dalton Schultz and to have him be a big part of my offense, like I'm going to have to surround him with speed um, and guys that can push the defense down the field. Like we said, I remember, like, I know V, we talked about this when we, signed him like right he's not a guy that is like basically good enough to be a second or third option on a team and when you kind of base a lot of the stuff that like we did like when you base so much of it out of heavy personnel he ends up having to to put on a lot of like you know it's a lot of dependence on him to get open over the middle of the field and be a threat which sometimes he just really wasn't that but in in sets where the defenses get get pushed back by the receivers. He always tends to find a soft spot and get open and, you know, fall forward and, you know, do tight end stuff, right? So to me, you know, you see how, how Dallas kind of basically spent two years kind of revamping their whole tight end room and haven't really missed a beat from there. Um, so to me, it's kind of like one of those things because he's not great at blocking and he's not a truly great receiver. I do think that it's not the end of the world if we don't keep him. But I just think that, you know, whatever receipt, whatever tight end we get in free agency, they have to be a receipt, like a, either a really, really good receiving threat that like really push stress over the middle of the field, like a guy I know that you like, Noah Fant, or they have to be a really, really good blocker. And then from there, you kind of supplement that player with another player that is good at the complete opposite thing. That's how I feel, like in in, in the tight end room. That's how I feel. So, you know, I, I think that with that being said, I think that the the our price for him might be significantly lower than someone else's price, you know? That, that's true. And uh, quickly to comment on what Johnny here is saying, 
I think a lot of people have this misconception that players like a, like you know the quarterback or like a general manager or a coach, and they're willing to take millions off their salary in order to be at a place. And that's really not the case. 99% of the time, players are going to go to the highest bidder. Of course, there are extending circumstances. For example, someone that's at the end of their career might be looking at a ring more than money, especially if they already have hundreds of million dollars or made hundreds of million dollars over the course of their career. But that's not Dalton Schultz. Um, he's he's likely going to go where the money takes him. The question is, where will the money take him? Who will offer him more? That's my thing. I would prefer Noah Fant over Dalton Schultz, but I know that Domico also looks at continuity. Um, you know, there is continuity there. So from you know our side, from the Texans side, they want to bring him back. The real question is, is he going to be worth it? It's really just for me, what I think is it comes down to money. I don't think you really can say too much out of this quote. It comes down to the agents, Nick talking to their agent and see what they can figure out. Take a look at the statistics. Oh. Take a look at all five of the tight ends that are at the top of this list. I'm looking at right now. This is the top five tight end rankings on CBS sport. They have Dalton Schultz listed as one. They have Noah fan. We just talked about listed as five. In the middle, Hunter Henry, Gerald Everett, Mike Sickey. Do you think that Dalton Schultz is significantly better than any of those guys? I don't. And I think that plays in the Texans' favor. To the comment that we read a little bit earlier, there's certainly an element of familiarity which some players will look at and say, okay, like maybe I'll take a little less. But to what you were saying, yeah. As far as a ton less, a major discount to stay with C.J. Stroud, that's skeptical. But I do think that the market plays to the Texans' favor if they want to bring him back. I, I personally don't have a, a preference. I think that Schultz's familiarity with the system does make him maybe the one that I would put at the top of the list. I do know I like Hunter Henry. He's always been a very good red zone target for the Patriots. Um, but... I, I'm I'm with you in that, yeah, he's not going to come back for like a minimum or less than he was making last year. And there's a lot of other free agents that the Texans have to take care of. Is this right. a guy that you're going to sign to a long-term deal and push some of that money back? I don't know that that's the case. Right. And that's what it could come come down to. And so this takes us to a, a, you know, a second quote here. Um, and, it, and let's talk about Devin Singletary. What did he say? So – um, he basically said, I remember sitting in a free agent visit with Devin, his personality, his demeanor. It was a guy I knew I wanted to work with right away. Devin is made of the right stuff. He's a hard worker. He's a leader. He shows up every day in practice with a great attitude and the guys around him feed off of that. We'll see what happens in free agency, but I would love to have Devin back just because of what he brought to our team. He was definitely a bright spot in the running back room. Now, to me, that's a little more showing a little bit more love than what he went from when he talked about Dalton. And that was really the discussion on social media today was, wow, he really talked about Devin Singletary, like it was his son. And, um, you know, Dalton Schultz was some sort of, you know, redheaded stepchild sort of thing. Like, like that's, that was kind of the, the discussion, but I, I will say that I think Singletary is going to be relatively cheap regardless. I don't think he's going to be more than 6 million. So I think that, you know, you're going to, you go whether we draft another running back or sign another free agent running back, Signing Devin Singletary should not be that hard to do. I can't see another team giving him more than $6 million. Paul, you're up first. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right there. I, I felt like there were flashes that he showed that he's, he's a very good player. 
but I don't think he's ever jumped off the screen in the same way that someone like Damian Pierce has. Obviously, Pierce is not a fit for the system, but Pierce, I think, is just a physically more talented player uh, than Singletary. So I don't think that people are going to be knocking the door down. I would say he's probably like the second tier of all, maybe the third tier of all the free agent running backs because there's a lot of guys that are potentially going to hit the market. I, I know that you have at times brought up the idea of a Derrick Henry, and some of the top 12 guys are really good. What I'm hoping for is that, yes, Singletary's back, and I'm hoping that there are potentially some salary cap hits that could lead to somebody like, a, I don't know, Nick Dubb, who suffered what seemed to be an awful injury, but maybe it wasn't that bad of an injury. I'd love to see that guy here, a tandem with a Devin Singletary or something like that. I feel like he would be paying him less than the contract that he currently has with the Cleveland Browns, which was a three-year, $36 million deal. So I think Bill Terry is someone they try to bring back. I think he showed how valuable he was in a couple of games, specifically that game against the Titans, where it seemed like he single-handedly won that thing with some of the things that he was doing, both as a receiver and as a runner. I think he should be back. I hope he's back. And, yeah, I don't think it's going to be that much to keep him around. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. Leo, before I let you go, I just wanted to also ask you if you could include this in your answer. So obviously, we've been talking about running backs, you know, all for weeks now. I mean, you've done videos on Saquon Barkley um, with, with Josh. So the thing is that we have multiple running backs, which we'll talk about a little bit more in free agency. But do you see a possibility of Devin Singletary actually leaving here because he's making more money elsewhere? Um. Uh... I haven't really looked at the free agent running backs list, but I mean, you know, uh, there's always that possibility, but I don't, I don't really think so. I think we'll be able to get them for a fair price. You know what I mean? And um, it's not really, uh, it's not really that I, I, I you know, I, I don't think he's going to make that much money um, personally. You know, he's not really like a, he's a really good player. It's just like, he doesn't really have like any elite quality that makes you feel like, he needs to be like a priority for any one team in free agency. You know what I mean? Um, so that's how I kind of feel about that. Um, as far as like the Saquon Barkley stuff or just like the, the overall running back position in general, I feel like the where well signing De Devin Singletary back does is especially if you you kind of uh, are going to make a splash move in free agency at running back. For me, what it kind of does is it kind of takes you out of the mar market for a running back in the draft. That's more so where the biggest change is to me. Um, whereas, like, if you let him walk and you just didn't re-sign him, um, you would kind of be more apt to, like, you know, for sure sign, like, almost like an insurance policy to a Saquon or, like, a Derrick Henry or, you know, whoever we were, uh, you know, sign you know, finding a guy that complimented them well. Like maybe if you go like Devin or uh, Derrick Henry, maybe you draft a guy like a, like a Bucky Irving, you know what I mean? That can, um, you know, do stuff in the past game and like also kind of just be like a really good change of pace back. And then like, if you were to sign a guy that was like, you know, more of a pass catcher back, like a Saquon, like a DeAndre Swift, maybe you go and draft a guy that is a more big back that you can, you know, really count on them to get the tough grueling yards in between the tackles to kind of keep, you know, the hits off of them throughout the course of the year, unless you really needed it, you know, in the, in games to hear this. So to me, that's kind of the biggest difference in how you go about the draft, the draft and the running back position overall to me this off season. Okay. Um, so let's move on to the, to the next quote. What did um, he say? So um, this is about Jonathan Goodard and obviously you see my Jersey there. So 
everyone who follows this podcast or me on Twitter knows that I want Jonathan Art to come back. Um, so there's two quotes here. There's one from D'Amico, and then there's an older quote from Jonathan Gennard. So D'Amico said, Jay-Z did a good job. I know I'm, it's not Jay-Z. I know there's no other way to say it without me sounding like I'm talking about a rapper, but I'll, his name, Jonathan Gennard, did a good job for us. He was very productive. His play was physical. He did the things we asked him to do. We'll see where free agency plays, but we, we'll, we'll see where free agency plays out, but we love Jay-Z. We loved what he did for us this year. Again, he didn't sound as enthusiastic as he did with Devin Singletary. Now, here's the older quote from Jay-Z. Yes, the rapper. No, I'm kidding. Uh, man, at this point, they know I love Houston. I know I definitely want to come back. But as we know, that's enough to me. At this point, I can't do much more. I feel like I put my portfolio out there and close that chapter, and the rest will take care of itself. If they have me back, I'll be 10 toes down. But if it's not, it's just a game. I'll definitely appreciate if this was the last time. And that's the quote that he gave at the end of the season. I personally think that Jonathan Gennard is an excellent player. Um, he's He didn't just play well this year, as many people think. He actually played well in 2021. He, had, he got injured earlier on. He had eight sacks in uh, 12 games. He was good against the run then, but he was all, he was better against the run with D'Amico now. Not only was he did he have 12 and a half sacks, but he had 15 tackles for loss. And, and those 12 and a half tackles for loss weren't even over 17 games or over really 14 games. So he ha he has the opportunity of doing more. And I think the fact that, you know, that he's basically had three DCs, right? Because you can three DCs it, so far. And he's been successful. Now he's had injuries, right? We're not going to deny that. That's part of the issue there. But as, as you know, the general John McClain said, the injuries potentially could play in our favor by reducing his his potential contract a little bit because you have to really plan you know in case he does have those injuries where his cap hit could be a little reduced texans cap says that he thinks it could be anywhere from 15.5 to 18.25 but then you heard today that other people are estimating that he could go for 22 to 24 million so paul i know that's a ton of information but your overall take on whether jonathan Gennard should stay how much he should cost what can you take from this quote? And can we just all admit that Jonathan Gennaro is a great player and stop underestimating what he can do? I will say he is a good player. I think his numbers this season were great. This is not me saying that I don't believe that he has the potential to be a great player to be better elsewhere or anything like that. All I know is the production that we saw this year really jumps out to the point of what is the history of the NFL? Teams that have money will spend it, and somebody is going to offer him a lot of money. That's, I think, what you got to wonder about. I don't know if this is more about whether the Texans want to bring him back as much as it's about whether or not the Texans think they can match whatever team throws a ton of cash at a guy who just had 12 and a half sacks this past season. And if you're the Texans, you got to wonder, hey, is there somebody else potentially available on the defensive line? Doesn't look like it's going to be Chris Jones or Justin Matabuke. Is there somebody that we want to bring in? Because remember, D'Amico Ryan talked about adding to the defensive line. I wouldn't know if he was talking about the interior there. Is there somebody else that's there that they say, well, we'd rather spend a ton of money on this guy than on Jonathan That's something to pay attention to. I'm looking at the two quotes in the rundown right now. You put them right next to each other, and you add the two of them together. It does feel like they are about to come to a split. 
Right. Right. Uh, Leo, uh, I know your thoughts, but why don't you tell everyone that's listening what your thoughts on Jonathan Gennard are and, you know, and about the, and about his actual cap hit. Go ahead. Go yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, it, it's never about, you know, it hasn't been about whether or not, you know, he's a good player or not, you know. It's not a, like because obviously he is a good player, and obviously when he's been healthy, he's proven that he's a good player. It's been about the stuff that Paul just said, and also the um just what we gave up to get Will Anderson, and where I think Will Anderson best plays in this defense. I think Will Anderson best fit on our defense is like the weak side edge, you know, and I think that it'll give him more freedom to, and it also will be less grueling on his body to like be playing in a spot like I've kind of told you and just in our videos and stuff that generally a guy that is like 20, 30 pounds heavier would do. You know what I mean? I think if you put him on the other side, I think that he would be able to do similar things to Grenard. And I think as a whole, our line would be able to, you would be able to have a, a bigger defensive line. And, um, you know, I think you would get similar, similar, um, you know, or better production. Um, now, the thing is, is that when I say that or when we talk about letting uh, Grenard go and stuff, the next argument is, well, how do you replace Sacks? It's not about replacing Sacks with one guy. It's about putting, like, a pass rush is a team effort from the from the coverage to the front, you know, and, and even the linebackers covering, taking the, you know, the short reads away, right? Like, um, I think that if you go get a guy like I don't know how much Leonard Williams is going to cost or like a Darius Robinson in a draft or just a guy that is a 280, 290 pound like Michael Bennett, like a Brandon Graham type of guy. And you put them on the other side of Will Anderson, you go get uh, another big, you know, defensive tackle and you have like Malik Collins at three tech or, you know, however that goes. Basically, both those guys are generally interchangeable, but basically you have three guys next to Will Anderson on rundowns that are basically like three technique type guys, possibly one guy leaning more towards like a traditional nose. And then you just basically just fucking, I mean, sorry, just, you know, shrink the pocket and just make it just every pocket that the quarterback is going to throw super muddy. And you would end up having like a similar run defense than you had before. And then on the rush downs, right. Um, you, you go get a guy that's like a pass rush specialist, like a guy, like a Bryce Huff, like a guy, like we had a couple of years ago, um, like Jacob Martin, like a guy like double O I always, I can't never say his name. Right. But I hope you know what I'm talking about. Uh, double O who else? Bryce, uh, jo Josh Uche, you know what I mean? Um, mm. you know, those type of guys, right. Like, you know, these are guys that have had 10 sacks before. Like, Josh Uche literally just had 10 sacks, you know what I mean, uh, a year or two like ago. Uche. Bryce Huff Bryce Huff had 10 sacks this year. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's a lot of guys that get sacks. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of guys that are – and then at that point, to me, it's like by the time the price is all ran up for, for Jonathan Grenard, you end up being able to get – two guys for the same price and end up having more depth to begin with. So to me, it's like, it, it's one of them things where it's just, it, now if we ran a three, four and, 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 you know, size on the edge wasn't such a deal because, you know, we're cool with playing five guys on the line of scrimmage when we think it's a run situation, uh, then I would be all for it. But from what I understand, that's not what D'Amico wants to do. And I've like, you know, I've talked to V, I've shown V a lot of different areas where um, where guys that have basically run de defenses that D'Amico 
is kind of derived from they've run similar fronts to what I'm talking about. They'll have like a, a speed type of edge, which would be Will Anderson. And then they have like a bigger edge, which is like the Michael Bennett, the guy that I, that, um you know, like that was drafted for that position in San Francisco um, was uh, Solomon Thomas, but he ended up being terrible. Um, a guy that, that people think about as a true defensive tackle now, Eric Armstead. Eric Armstead played a lot on the edge early in his career. You know what I mean? So that's the type of edge I want to see. And then you move that guy inside, and I think you end up having more depth and just more rotation in general. So to me, it's just it's just not the perfect fit. And, I mean, why break the bank over something that just isn't the right fit, you know, to begin with, you know? And to what you're saying, Leo, I think you also got to factor in the history of the guy who's also working with D'Amico Ryans in Nick Casario. And for those who don't know, grew up rooting for the Patriots. One of the things that the Patriots regularly would do, thanks to having a guy like Tom Brady, who wasn't always taking the biggest contract, was they would look to find multiple players that could put together those statistics, as you said. They wanted ways to pass pressure. They're playing a free force, obviously a little bit different than what D'Amico and company are doing. But if if we're to look at Nick Casario's history in New England with Bill Belichick, who might have been doing more, I think that Casario is going to look to get two guys who maybe aren't top shelf at the defensive line. More so, he's likely to spend to keep a guy that that's been here for a few years, or to spend on one player to be the anchor of the entire defense. He might change his stripes. He's in a new place. Nico Ryan's it seems to be in a collaboration as the Texas told us they were going to do going into this. And but history does, I think, matter when it comes to guys who have been in the league for a while. Okay. Um, all right. So this is the last part of this segment. Um, and <laughs> this is the one that um, you know has really has nothing to do with the what Texas. Did he say? <laughs> but it's impossible for me not to talk about it. All right, so this we're actually going to watch a little video here. Weirdos being weird. <laughs> Weirdos being weird. You know, I don't even want to get a man no credit talking about him, you know. But number 72. Michael Clements. Michael Clements. Yeah. Yeah, bitch boy. Um, <laughs> bitch boy. You know, I'm going to just keep it a buck. I hate them. All of them, bro. They are awesome. Like, when it comes to sports, right, there's people that play the sport because they love the sport. And then there's people that play the sport just to try to be cool. I feel like they play the sport to try to be cool. Like those are a bunch of dudes that just want to take pictures on Instagram. <laughs> like that's whack. Like I play this because I'll die by it. All right. So I got to ask you guys, in, in the division rivalry between the Bills and the Jets, who do you got? <laughs> like like are, are the Bills just more badass than the Jets? Are the Jets just... At this point, the laughing stock of the NFL. Um, are they bitch boys, Paul? Am I allowed to cuss? Uh, if you want to cuss, you're allowed to cuss. Yeah. The Jets are <laughs> fucking losers. They've been a loser organization <laughs> for two decades, and this, especially given what we saw on Hard Knocks to now, where Robert Sala's paranoid, where Aaron Rodgers and Nathaniel Hackett are buddy boys and seem to be doing whatever they want, where Rodgers is also at the same time basically like 
I, I don't know, telling the GM what to do. And, yeah, you got guys on the defense that are like this. You got Scott Gardner, who was a great player, living on Twitter, paranoid that people aren't viewing him as the number one corner in the NFL. I mean, I hope you saw that tweet that I had about how Derek Stingley's gotten three receptions in him over the last two years. I'm sure he did get many touchy Texas benches. So, Bills are 100% right here. Deion Dawkins is funny as hell. I'm glad that somebody has actually outwardly said that they hate another team and specific players on another team. To call them out and say that they're basically on it for the gram is about as degrading a thing you can say about a guy that you are going up against trying to beat the living hell out of on a down-to-down basis. I love hearing it because the Jets lose this. <laughs> I mean, I got to say I agree, right? Like, the, I mean, listen, the Jets have been a nothing. A, a nothing burger for, forever. We thought they were going to be something with Aaron Rodgers, and he played all of you know a quarter of a second. And we don't know what's going to happen this season. Th- this is obviously for people that don't know the reason why they're mad, why he's so mad, is because of that fight that happened uh, on November nineteenth in the tunnel. For anyone that doesn't know, and um, he calls him bitch boys, and I gotta agree. Leo, are the Bills bitch boys? <laughs> you mean are the Jets bitch boys? Are, are the Jets bitch boys? Oh yeah. Before I answer this, uh, Paul Drake's uh, Bab says, uh, "What's up? What's so, up? What's up, Bab? <laughs> yeah, shout out to Bab. All right, bro. Yeah, man. So, are the Jets bitch boys? I mean, uh, well, I'm gonna just say yeah, man. Because the way the way the way CJ Stroud got hit, man. The way the way fucking Quentin Williams punk bitch ass hit him, bro. Like, man." Fuck you. I hope that when we play them, we shove our foot straight up their fucking New York Yankee bitch asses. You know what I'm saying? I hope we come back with the Avengers, and I hope we just embarrass them. And oh. I hope we're the reason why their whole coaching staff gets fired. So that's how I fucking feel about them. I like All righty. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the Jets are bitch asses. We've solved that on Texans 20. I hate that they beat the Texans so convincingly last year. It's just the absolute worst. Ugh. Anyway, I hope you're right, Leo. Uh, <laughs> I, I, listen, we all agree here. Um, all right, so we I want to prepare for the combine. Um, there's a lot of people. Obviously, we're talking about it. There, are, we have a lot of holes. We just there's pause, but um, we've got a lot of holes on the Texan squad. Whether some people think there's more holes on offense, some people think there's more holes on defense. I happen to think there's more holes on on defense. And we're going to be looking at the combine, and we're going to be probably overreacting to what we see. And I think I have. The num- I think it's fair to say, Paul, that you are the number one combine hater. Can, can I? I can- right. So, I, you know, we have the number one combine hater. So this is probably the best time to talk about this argument right here, which is do we at overact for the combine? And I, here's a little bit of the case. So the fastest combine record ever in history was John Ross, right? He had a 4-2-2. What happened when you did that? Well, he he strained his calves during his 40 time, right? He was unable to perform other uh, workouts. He was drafted by the Bengals. He was he was made the sixth wide receiver. The fastest guy in the combine was the wide receiver six. In his first appearance, he fumbled and was benched. He basically suffered with injuries, mostly shoulder injuries. He got signed to the to the Chiefs in the practice squad. And then retired before the Chiefs made the Super Bowl and had his entire career was 957 yards, not even a thousand yards, 
and 11 TDs in five years. That's what happened with the fastest guy in the combine in the history of the NFL. So before we go and, and completely overreact to the combine, just remember, it's not all about the 40 time. Now, I'm not going to say there hasn't been successes. Tariq Woolen, who had 4.26, Chris Johnson, mm. 4.24, you know him as a Titans. Every Texans fan knows who he is. Six, six back-to-back 1,000 years. He was a Derrick Henry before Derrick Henry was Derrick Henry. Um, you know, he had that one 2,000-yard year. And so there's this guy named Greg Gabriel. Many may know him because you follow him on Twitter or you, you may read his articles. He's been a scout for 30 years. He's He was at the Bears. And he was a director of, director of college scouting. And he and he's part of the Barroom Network. And what he says is that less than a handful of players dramatically rise their stock, stock in the combine. Like when 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 you actually hear, you know, all of these experts say, oh, we think his draft, draft board is actually rising. It's not rising on the uh, on the GM side. It's it's rising on the analyst side, on NFL Network, on ESPN, uh, uh, on whatever channel radio station i'm not calling you out or anything well i'm just saying like <laughs> that's just that's just what it is it's 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 the analysts that um where the, their draft boards are rising but the gms already had a lot of that on um, that way um the influence on player draft is minimal he said the most important part of the combine are the medical evaluations and their interviews the workouts are used to standardize player comparisons so the big changes are rare and then what confuses these you know, regular NFL fans are that players that they see in mock drafts, right? On CBS mock draft where this player is rated, say, 162, and he goes in the, you know, in the second round. They're like, how did that happen? The combine must have done it. No, it's just that the analysts got it wrong and didn't really understand what the GMs were looking at. Now, I know that's a lot, but even having said all that, and, and, and we're going to go through the, who the Texans have met with as well, are you looking for anything specific at this year's combine, knowing what holds we have, you know, any specific player workouts besides the 40 time? What are you looking at and what should fans be looking at, given all, given everything I just said about how much we overrate the combine, Paul? To what Greg Gabriel said, I wish I could be a fly on the wall with some of these interviews and specifically hear some of the ridiculous questions that are asked to get a rise to out of some of the players. Some of them are flat out disrespectful. There's a part of me that would like to watch it and listen and chuckle a bit. That's just how sometimes fucked up it is. To me, the reason the combine has grown in a league that is this popular, the NFL has found a way to make every single month of the season have some sort of event. When the playoffs and the Super Bowl were mostly in January, February was when the combine happened. March was for free agency. April's the NFL draft. May, you've got OTAs or mini camp. June, there's there's the mini camp. Uh, July, training camp. They've done a great job of turning themselves into a year-long product. The problem is, I think, that because of that, we overestimate, since the NFL actually turns this into a television show now, how much of an impact there is. He's right. It's all about the actual interviews. I, I'll, I'll tell you guys something about Gerard Johnson, Texas quarterback coach. Now, I'm pretty fast, I like to think, for a guy who wasn't able to play past the high school level. And Gerard Johnson taught me in the 40-yard dash, literally in a 10-minute period, how to shave 0.2 seconds off of my time. So I went from running like a 5 to a 4.8 
based off of Gerard Johnson literally just telling me how to alter my stance. It is an awkward stance. You are essentially like putting your hands down on the ground and two feet that are like are one in front of the other right behind you, a stance that you will never get on in a football field so that you can launch as quickly as you can. You're supposed to lean forward, fall, and go ahead. You will never do that in an NFL game. In fact, you will never run, most likely, unless you are a wide receiver or a cornerback, you will never run 40 yards in a straight line at any point during the NFL. Right. We love the top end speed. We love to see just how fast these guys can be. It is cool. Like, there's a lot of fast guys in the NFL, you know? But at the same time, I mean, when you watch these guys in pads, Tyreek Hill is faster than everybody. Why aren't we talking about how Tyreek Hill was awesome at the NFL combine? And I'll be honest, I don't 100% know if he was invited because of some of the stuff that went on in college. But when you look at the way that the NFL combine is covered, I think that's what lends a lot of the most hardcore NFL fans to follow it with such a strong passion and then overreact to just really impressive showings of strength. I, I feel for the players, it is a rough fucking however long they're there. They they fly coach to this place. They go straight from the plane. Who amongst us hasn't when you travel in the plane, you're just tired when you get off the plane. And you go straight from that to doing all these workouts, to uh, doing these interviews, multiple interviews. You are tired at the end of it. Rob Gronkowski was talking the other day about how he was, he was falling asleep in some of the interviews. And I think he had an interaction with Bill O'Brien where he just totally forgot about what Bill O'Brien was asking him about on a whiteboard. It's really hard for these guys, and I feel bad for them because they're basically made to be like a, a it sort of turns into like a meat market out there, which is which is also I mean messed up, kind of degrading. Uh, you're all wearing these like super tight clothes. Uh, some guys uh, ramble a ding dong slide out when they wipe out running a forty yard dash. Chris Jones, you know, Chris Jones, <laughs> like it's it's a weird event, and I I feel bad for all the players involved because. If you have a rough time at the Combine, too, you're, you're going to get dumped on. And as I think Gabriel said, Greg Gabriel said, it doesn't really have that much stock. It shouldn't have that much stock in where a player was is drafted and what he's going to do in the league. Okay. Um, so, Leo, in addition to what I just said, I want to address this because there's going to be people that will – I'm going to put this on the screen for those that are watching. But, you know, tomorrow morning, people that download this audio podcast, and obviously they can't see what's on the screen. So for their benefit, I want to just say the players that the Texans have met with at the Senior Bowl, and I want you to keep in mind these players when I ask you what are you specifically looking for. So, so far the Texans have met with these players. Texas A&M wide receiver Anya Smith. Arizona wide receiver Jacob Coing, Michigan, Michigan wide receiver Roman Wilson, my guy, Penn State tight end Theo Johnson, Houston offensive tackle Patrick Paul, Missouri defensive end Darius Robinson, Leo's guy, um, North Carolina state linebacker Peyton Wilson, Toledo cornerback Quinnen Mitchell, Louisville cornerback James Brown Lee, Wake Forest safety Malik Mustafa, I hope I'm pronouncing that close enough, Penn State cornerback Kalen King, and North Carolina linebacker C. DeGray, who you just did a video on. So those are the players that the Texans have met with. Um, what are you looking for? Because I know that you're going to be covering it. You're going to be coming out with videos every day for the combine, right? So, like, what are you looking for specifically, you know, besides the 40 time? And, and are you looking specifically at any of the players that the Texans have met with? So, man, I mean, Paul brought up a lot of good points. Like, 
the 40 time and the testing does not make up for just like being ass at the sport. You know, if you suck, <laughs> then you just suck and it just is what it is. But like it can kind of reinforce things or even like make you see that some guys have even a more high ceiling than you even realize. One of the person people that I thought about while y'all were talking was Amara St. Brown. And I looked up his 40 time while it was while y'all was talking, bro. I mean, he had a 39th percentile 40 time, bro. He had, he was, he was, he ran a 461 40, man. You know, he had a, bro, he had a 17th percentile 10 yard split, a 163. He had a very average, I mean, for a guy for his size and what you think the speed would be, he had a pretty fairly average, you know, three cone, six nine, right? So, I mean, and he gets open and he's really, it's really quick to me on the field. I mean, he, I mean, 1,500 yard later, you know, I, yeah. you know, whatever, you know, I don't even have to explain that stuff. But yeah, so yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really like change anything. Like if a guy can play, a guy can play, and um, you know, maybe it spooks people. Like maybe some people feel like, oh, you know, you can't have a receiver, you know, run under four or five or run over four or five. I mean, that's just really like crazy. It's really like kind of just a a backwards way of thinking about it. But in this, I at the end of the day, where like you know people think speed kills. I mean, I can see it, but you know, I never look at Amara St. Brown and look at he's slow. Another guy we were right. talking about earlier was Brian Branch, who had a very pedestrian combine, ran almost a four six, and he's man covering people in the slot. So I don't see any problems with speed there. Another guy is Kyle Hamilton. Who had one of the worst combines? Oh I yeah, guess he had a pretty terrible combine, you know, for someone that was being compared to yeah. Air Reed and Sean Taylor and stuff, you know. And look at it—I mean, you know, then you know, AFC Championship, right? All Pro, second year, you know what I mean? So yeah, I agree. But so so going, you know, it's it's pointless to like you can't put too much stock. Now transitioning to V's other question, like what am I looking for? Like there's some guys that I do think that it can boost the stock up drastically. And that's just based off of what you already see in the film, you know, right? So the first guy that I think about is Darius Robertson, right? Six foot five, three, almost like a 290 pound edge. If he runs a sub, like if he runs a four, six, five, 40, that's going to push him into the top 10 damn near. You know what I mean? Just because of the versatility that, that speed will give him with that, power profile that he has right similar to like a Trayvon Walker type I sound like Mel Kuyper while I'm talking about this it's pretty (laughs) actually terrible and terrifying but yeah uh I mean Cedric Gray another guy who is gonna be like an undersized linebacker if he runs like a low 4-4 he's gonna he's it's gonna push his his stock up because he's a guy that it's kind of similar to like a JOK right like a guy that is like an undersized linebacker has a speed and not and uh to cover the slot almost great blitzer, but has the instincts to play Mike. So if he runs a fast forty, then he's gonna he's gonna elevate. Um, another guy, Theo Johnson, a six foot six, two hundred sixty five pound tight end, right? So a guy that visibly has the size and physicality to play in line has tape of him blocking some top edge rushers from Ohio State. But if he runs a, a really good 40 time, like, you, 
you, you're going to see like a guy like, you know, people are going to start making all kinds of crazy comparisons and they're just going to see a guy that can really hold his own as an extra tackle, but still threaten the defense vertically, which is very valuable. And I'm looking at this again. Who else do I see? Um, Jacob Cohen. I don't think it will change that much. Uh, Anaya Smith. It won't change that much. Roman Wilson. Possibly if he runs a sub 4-4, that changes a lot. Um, Patrick Paul. I mean, I kind of feel like it could definitely solidify him as a second round if he has a crazy combine. Peyton Wilson is already going to be a freak in his in his uh his uh I mean his medicals are crazy as hell are, are terrible unfortunately. Um, but I mean Queen Queen Mitchell. I mean maybe that's someone that that could have a big have a good if he if he runs good really good three count really good uh you know forty maybe it you know kind of solidifies himself. But I think again, he actually rises. Let me just interrupt you right there. The reason why I think he rises is also, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I want to say like, if you saw what he did at the senior bowl, right? During the practice and stuff, right? Like you saw like him against Roman Wilson and other dudes where he was really kicking butt. Um, and I know that he doesn't necessarily have, wasn't rated that high, you know, during the college season, but you know, if he has a good combine and, you know, we'll, we'll be seen outside, you know, during the practices, a senior bowl and stuff like that. Yeah. That could probably raise them with, you know, honestly, a good 15 spots or so. If he has a really, really good combine, because um, he's not – I don't look at him and – I don't think he's, like, the biggest corner, but if he has, like, you know, super high percentile of athletic traits, then, I mean, it kind of solidifies. Because another thing for him is he played against pretty – Fairly, like, I mean, I hate to talk about, like, the level of talent, like, that's the first, you know, knock on him is that he went to Toledo. You right. know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah, of course, like, I agree with you there. He's the guy that I think it could change. But, like, the smaller receivers, like, like Jacob Cowing, I don't think – I think that he's kind of going to go around three or four regardless. Anaya Smith, the same thing. Roman Wilson, I think he's – you know, maybe it pushes them to the late first, but I don't think that'll be shocking anyway to me. Like if a if a team like the Chiefs just took him earlier because he they see a guy that can separate on film. He he already looks fast as hell, so I don't really see. But you know what I'm saying? I, what what the All fuck right. do I know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I, I think we covered the free agency while we were talking about other stuff. So I want to go right to the weekly draft course segment. Um, and so I've got um. I got a weekly draft crush that I don't think is actually gonna is actually gonna be a day three pick. Actually, um, his name is a linebacker, and it's Trevor Wallace. So I think that he's gonna be a day three pick, but I think it's someone that could be a sneaky sleeper that isn't necessarily gonna show up in his first year, but in his second or third. I'm not gonna say he's gonna be like a Christian Harris, but hopefully have some of the type of development. Um, so he's from Kentucky. He's, he played for the Kentucky Wildcats. He could end up going in the sixth or seventh round. He, his immediate impact is going to be a special teams player. I don't even think he'll see snaps on defense right away, you know, unless someone's get injured and stuff like that. But here's the reason. He placed at, at, the, at the 11th spot on Bruce Feldman's week list. And for those that don't know, Bruce Feldman puts out this list every year of the top 50. And these are just super athletes. Right, like Anthony Richard Richardson was on last year because of his weak nature. He has been um, he has been lasered at 22 miles per hour. He's six two and 241 pounds, and that's the crazy thing. So he's pretty big, 
right? 6'2 at 241, running at 22 miles per hour. So that's crazy. He's got 33-inch arms. He, he has a 38.5 vertical. Now, he's had 80 tackles, five and a half sacks, and one interception. Not crazy, not horrible or anything. There is an issue with, you know, football IQ because, you know, he's good against the run, but he can get faked out easily. And that's why he's not going to be a day one or, or, or day two pick. The reason he's my draft crush is because we need linebacker help and we have a, a couple sevens to play with. That's potentially a pick you can make that you know that's, you know, you're putting in for your your pocket for later development and you put them in there for special teams. There's some guy you don't want to sign back and pay, you know, $3 million for, you can save $2 million right there. And who knows in two years, dude could be a good rotational piece. That's my draft crush. Paul, who's your draft crush? You're going to hate me for this answer. I have gotten to the point now in the pre-draft process where I have accepted that no matter how much film I watch on a guy, no matter how much I study, no matter how much I read, I don't know what I don't know. So I'll be perfectly honest. There ain't no anyone really out there that I crush on that much. Uh, Jaden Daniels at the top is my favorite quarterback, but I'll probably be wrong on that one the same way I was wrong about Jake Locke. And that's why I learned my lesson. It's, it's just so hard to be right, and you got to be in the right situation. You got to be, well, like also – you got to have the right mindset, and I am going to give you the lamest answer ever. I don't have one because I'll be honest. I wait until they're drafted, and I hope it all works out for the best. So let me ask you a different question. Do you hope that Daniels is your quarterback for the Patriots? Yes, I do. So, so of all quarterbacks, I mean, even Caleb Williams or Drake May, Daniels is your guy. Daniels is my guy. I, Drake May, I've been hearing a lot of good things about him recently. Caleb Williams, I have been hearing a lot of bad things about him recently. Who knows how much any of that has to do with whether or not these guys are going to be good. I think I saw yesterday someone say that everyone at North Carolina would have been fired without Drake May. And I was like, well, that's a pretty complimentary thing to say about the guy. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, think about where we were a year ago with a two-pick crying about the fact that the Texans beat the Colts at the end of the year. Because they weren't going to get Bryce Young, and I mean, look, Bryce Young's career isn't over. But Bryce Young looked about as bad as possible this past season. I saw the one game against the Texans, and CJ Stroud looks like the second coming, right? Like he looks like the best quarterback that we've seen drafted in five years. So, all of those things being said, um, yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm lame when it comes to the draft stuff. And I think that lends itself to my just lack of interest in the NFL combine. <laughs> All right. Uh, fair enough. Um, I will pat Leo, and this is going to sound gay, but I'm going to pat Leo's back and Leo can pat mine. But, um, no, but not, we were no. both right about Bryce <laughs> Young. <laughs> we, were, we were both right about Bryce Young because – we were both of us were called all sorts of names among Texas fans for not wanting Bryce Young, and there, those fears that we had were validated. Um, all right, that being said, Leo, who's your, your draft question of the week? Yeah, before I move on to that, yeah, people were making Davis Mills excuses for Bryce Young. Oh, it's the line, it's the coach, yep. it's the receiver. So don't, don't you know, I, I'm just gonna move on. Uh, yeah, man, so uh. Uh, my draft crush this week. This is very hard because we ask me this every week, and I have to be every week. I have to do it. You know, what I mean. But I mean, listen. Um, I'm gonna just go with the the. You know, now now this is gonna be 
nobody get offended by this. But so you have the honey badger who was from LSU. Then we have the black badger who was from Des who's Desmond King. Desmond King, now I'm not being racist, y'all. Desmond King was the black badger, and you know, he's from Iowa. And now there's another cornerback from Iowa. And I have downed the name of him. I'm not gonna say the real one on 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 YouTube, but he is the white badger. And then I looked it up, and there is a white badger. There is a white badger. <laughs> if you Google it, while y'all are watching this, Google this right now and type in white badger. I'm not oh, making no. this up. So listen, bro. <laughs> Cooper DeGene is my is my uh draft crush this week. I see him getting all kinds of crazy, r- ridiculous hate to me. Um, talking about him not being athletic. I mean, the dude was like a three-sport athlete. If you look up his basketball clips, he's dunking everything. Like he's just he, you know, he has a crazy, like um, he had a crazy long jump in high school, really, really good um, you know, 100 meter dash. So there's no question about his athleticism. You know, he's a super big corner, like he's a six foot, six foot one, like 205-pound corner, you know, that has really good athleticism to do it. But how I look at him, I think he is going to be probably in the right situation. Like you were just saying, it has to be, everything has to be the right situation though. I think in the right situation, he could be an elite safety in the NFL, elite free safety that could give you um, versatility um, that can man up the slot that can, um, you know, you could run all type of, you know, crazy blitzes where he ends up manning up guys, um, you know, obviously match coverage because he has the corner skills. And then I think he has a, the range to play sideline to sideline. Um, one guy that I think that I thought about um, this week, and people would call me crazy for saying this, you know, because this guy was a legend at Alabama is Minka Fitzpatrick. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of player I think that Cooper Jazine can be. So, like, that's who my draft crush is this week. Okay. Well, before you wrap it up, I want to just quickly answer this question. And my answer is no one. Uh, Jonathan Gennard, the question is, who are we going to franchise tag? The answer is, if it's not Jonathan Gennard, which it shouldn't be because of the price, um, then it's nobody because no one else is is really worth it to franchise tag. Um, So that's your answer there. So, Paul, I had a really good time. Um, I hope you had a little fun here at the Texas 22 podcast. Uh, Why don't you tell everyone a little more about your new show and when they can watch you and how they can find you? So we're on noon to three on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. So that's where you can get it if you like to listen to terrestrial radio. We have a live YouTube stream on our ESPN Houston channel. We are finally starting to post clips um, from that show to that YouTube channel. I already post some of the clips from shows. Um, to my YouTube channel as well, which is at Paul Gallant. Um, so there's a podcast. If you want to check it out that way. Uh, Joe George has been working in sports radio in Houston for a while for a lot of different shows, puts a lot of work in, and can tell already we've got a pretty good chemistry. My producer, Sean Mapes, is hanging around as well. If you're looking for the general vibe of our show, we do not take ourselves too seriously at all. We basically just goof around the entire show. Occasionally we get serious, and honestly, now that Joe's aboard, the show's gotten a little bit more sportsy, which is probably for the best, because I talk out of my ass all the time. So we need someone to reel me back in a lot. I got way too much ADD. Sometimes I've got a World War II tangent that I go on and just like go on a rant about how like Croatia's on Loki suck. It's stuff like that. So I'm excited for the start of it. 
Um, and if you want to check it out, please do. I also do my own little side podcast. We're taking a break because I'm trying to figure out the logistics of the new show. And it will be back eventually, but you can catch that on the YouTube channel. We sometimes dive into politics on that one. So maybe not for everybody. But um, guys, I really appreciate you having me on. It's always a blast to hang with you too. And uh, uh, please have me on again. I'm always available. Just me and my cat hanging out here and, uh, you know, just trying to stay out of trouble. Uh, all right. I do have one question, though. Are we going to see a, a, a still some Tucker Paulson? Or, Tucker or... Paulson will be around. There will be okay. all sorts of dumb characters. Don't worry. Yeah, we, we just got to find a way to set him up. Take a little break for now as we get the show up and running, but he'll be back. Don't worry. Okay. All right. Um, so I do want to thank everyone, not only just for watching, but we started this. Me and Leo started this December 3rd because we both came from different podcasts. And in 86 days, we reached 1,000 subs. Um, yeah. We were posting... Um, for about four pieces of content um, a week, which is a, a decent amount for us. So we're really putting the work in and you guys are watching. And I really love it. You know, 80,000 views in the past month, 1,000 subs, um, actually over 1,000 subs. Really appreciate it. If you guys can do us a favor, check out our merch store. Um, it's at texans22.com slash shop. I'm wearing a hoodie. Um, it's all original artwork. So check that out. I really appreciate you guys showing the love. Um, keep watching the channel. Uh, keep interacting with us on YouTube. And just remember, no matter what, Texans 22 always has your back. Texans 22, breaking it down. Podcast got the city vibing to the sound. Special guests dropping knowledge so true. Keep the Texans down. This one's for you.